brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit voicesofwrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway, in a brand new day, gotta let it go. Fast to Welcome back to Open the Voice Gate for July 26, 2022. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find this podcast on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast feed or our own dedicated podcast feed on all podcast platforms and applications. You can follow us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. If you'd like to donate to the show, click the link in the show notes. It'll take you to our redcircle.com landing site. You can set up a one-time or recurring donation just if you click the red box that says sponsor this podcast uh no application whatsoever but we would like to thank all of our previous donors i'm one of your hosts it's your old pal mike spears join alongside as always case low in case i don't think we were planning on recording tonight no i certainly was planning on having the night off yeah so uh as you all probably have seen through the podcast feed uh we did it's kind of becoming an annual thing, a show with uh, Jay that came out yesterday that probably would have come out today. But uh, yesterday, let me get the time right just because the time matters with this case. Uh, yesterday at approximately, okay, I have the exact time, at 1.19 a.m. Japanese time, Dragon Gate announced the departure of Kaito Ishida as of the 24th stating that they efforts were tr- have were made to come to a compromise but ultimately he was firm in his decision to re- to uh, resign from the company the uh, this announcement's being made as per his request that's why there's no press conference this seemed to be it for it and his last match case was in Okinawa back in June and has been off carts ever since okay i'm just trying Part of today's show, we're going to be talking about this, and we'll talk about Kobe World, but this is just it close to a moon landing kind of thing case. Uh, I didn't hear anything for a long time injury-wise about Kaito Ishida, but this is something that I I think it's fair to say that, that this was not like a sudden thing with Kaito Ishida is what I'm it wasn't the most shocking name that could have departed from the Dragon Gate roster. I wasn't necessarily expecting it at this point in time, 
but when I read it once I got past the initial, oh, wow, it, it sunk in pretty fast. You know, he's always been from what I've heard from people that have interacted with him. You know, he's a, he's a pretty elusive guy. He's pretty quiet. He's not the most social figure. We reported last June, just over a year ago, that there was a possibility that he was leaving the promotion. And that was based off of him posting an Instagram story with a vague phrasing of the next chapter or onto something new, whatever it was. And don't quote me on that. That was just the, uh, the I'm, I'm certainly paraphrasing when I talk about what its caption was, but it was that mixed with the Japanese people that I follow on Twitter, which is not a great sample size to base anything off of. But as soon as Ashita fired off that post, they were all under the assumption that he was leaving the promotion. And, and we said, there is certainly a possibility that there's smoke to this fire. If there was a guy that was going to leave Dragon Gate, there's a list of alternate promotions that would make sense for him. You know, if we found out, or rather if there were rumors that UT wanted to leave, I don't know if that would make a ton of sense. I don't see landing destinations for UT outside of Dragon Gate. Ashita, on the other hand, there's a few, and there's there's one really logical one. So we at least floated it out there that, hey, there might be something to this. That turned out to be a smokescreen storyline for him getting a minor knee operation. He was back before Kobe World and a featured player for the next 11 months. And then we found ourselves here with him disappearing off of cars uh, after the Okinawa trip. We were told, hey, it's an injury. He'll be back whenever he's healthy. And uh, it looks like we will not see that return. Yeah, and it was something that just from people I've talked with and people that uh, I wouldn't say know him, but it it's something that talk about his unhappiness cropped up a long time ago. Like that last year, like there was a reason why we we pursued it at the time and looked into it because it was something that lined up there and it's something that I would say that, like, getting, like, straight, like, to it, I very much get the sense that the isolated and a personal thing about him leaving. Yeah, whatever we've heard about Ishida, and it's always, you know, nobody's ever come to us running and said, you know, Kaito Ishida did this or we heard this. It's always just been in passing. There's some discontent there. He's a, a bit of a standoffish guy. It's never been Ashita has a problem with this guy and he's going to let people right. know about it. Now, part of that might just be a cultural thing, but at least from the information that we've gathered, uh, not only over the past day or two, but just over covering this promotion the way we have, I don't know of a specific issue. I don't know what, what the powder keg was here, but Ashita has seemingly felt unhappy for a while. And again, to, to reiterate my point that I opened up the podcast with, you know, was it shocking to read a little bit, but once I thought about it, it seemed like this had been brewing for a long time. And to think about what we talked about with Jay, it seemed like at the start of 2022, this was going to be a year for him and a year for Ata. Whether they were apart or together, you know, we didn't know in January and February, they split them up and Ata, you know, has been really doing his own thing and from what i can gather ha has had immense creative freedom by running with peros and ashita for as talented as he is and for as over as he was which is something that we can kind of dive into in a second he was in a unit that was based around coach menorah and alongside naruki doi 
and no matter what, right now, given the landscape of Dragon Gate, that is going to put you third fiddle in a unit, and then you factor in the uh, importance and attention given to Minorita, and all of a sudden, Nishida is the fourth and final guy in his unit, and I can see how after the really the the 2019 to 2021 stretch that he had. I could see how that would get under a skin. Now, again, I'm not reporting that he had creative issues specifically, but I can at least understand if he did where he's coming from. Right. Yeah. Like, to be clear on this, and I just, this is something that, that should be said and should be very clear. We have not talked to Kaido Ishida. Uh, we need to hear back from various people about this. And. Going back and talking about like gold class and about all of this and his position within gold class in a lot of ways, like from him joining up with Doi Minora all the way throughout, he kind of was the sore thumb in in a lot of ways because you had Doi's like fascination early on with the ninety percent uh, women in attendance thing, and then you had Kaito Ishida that, that was like trying to say heelish things and it was just like okay storyline this like makes sense and it didn't really get a lot get much further from there and i would not be surprised w- when we were talking with jay on sunday okay so i wouldn't be surprised if some of the confusion about gold class was from the start the way that kaito ishida presented himself in comparison to the other yeah that would that it, it was it was an odd fit from the start, and I, I was probably the biggest gold-class cheerleader for the first two months of this promotion. I mean, I, I saw what they did at Champion Gate in Osaka this year, that gold-class versus natural vibes match for the Triangle Gate belts, which was, you know, Ashita, Doi, and Minora. And for as odd as all of those pieces were individually together, I was like, oh my god, they really have something here. This is a special group of guys because they're all world-class talents, and... You know, gold class is one of those things that in the moment, the longer it's gone on, it, it's been more and more confusing. And I think as as time goes on, you and I will both only look back at gold class with question marks. It seems like, you know, a, a unit that is four or five months old at this point has already overstayed their welcome. And, and that's a, a very rare thing for Drangate. Very rarely does it seem like they miss to this degree. And maybe we're not as negative on it if the go-home angle for the July cork and delivers to any degree instead of flopping the way that it did. But right now, they're a unit gasping for air and to lose a piece like Ashita, uh, Again, a, a guy that that mattered in this promotion, somebody that we always said was probably never going to be a Dreamgate champion, but certainly a credible Dreamgate challenger. And there's one Dreamgate challenge. He showed just that. This is a guy who we argued for the first half of 2020 at the start of the year through the empty arena pandemic shows. We were like, hey, with all due respect to Ata, why is this not Kaito Ashida's unit? How is he not leading RED at this point? He's he's the guy that is making this machine go forward. And this was the first time, and, and we'll kind of go through his career, but really since he put the pieces together late 2018, early 2019, these last few months are the first time that he has really been slowed in his progression. And it was obvious and it was jarring and it was disappointing as somebody that's a fan of him and somebody that thought he could really be a difference maker at some point for Dragon Gate. So you, you, you hit on a couple things there that I wanted to touch on before we start talking about his time in Dragon Gate. And first and foremost, you brought up the July Cork, and of course referring to Kota Minora's Lights Out attack and the 
no contest that came out of that that i wonder about this because it, it it's not just that ishida was like absent I, ishida like after that show in okinawa he's just not been in cards he has not shown up things not been in listings he's just like that there if things were going if ishida was like it was something that they that the company was like aware is like all right we probably need to prepare for something maybe the turn and i'm not trying to excuse the angle to be clear maybe this was taking advantage of the situation of well we're going to have to do something with these guys now especially if menorah now given what's going to be coming down the pipe so we might as well do this now and then in retrospect, it will be a lot tidier than if we had to figure things out right after Kobe World with Gold. Yeah, I, I, I think that's I think that's really fair. It's again, like I said, it's a confusing situation. I, I, I don't remember the last time that the company has missed with a featured act the way this was. And we'll talk about overgeneration. This won't be the overgeneration retrospective podcast, but we'll talk about overgeneration and how as time went on. It went, okay, this isn't it, this isn't it, this isn't it. And it seemed like somehow from May to June, the plot was lost with Gold Class, and and, and here we are. Yeah, so we're now five days out. They, the announcement of this is something I wanted to hit on, case for a second before we moved on. Yeah, uh, please. Released at 1 a.m. in the middle of the night, right after you announced your Kobe World cards. That's... It, it, it's something that I think it was kind of like handled in a way that it was released at a time of like, yeah, no, he's leaving. And it, whereas we've seen before with like Gamma, uh, Super Shisa and others that it was more of a front facing, for lack of a better term, a more of a, oh, all right, these guys, they're wrapping up here like this and said we got that. And that ties into the fact that and I know that it's not necessarily like like one to one, and everyone is different. Dragon Gate's like contractual thing for the longest time ran from Kobe World to Kobe World, and that makes me wonder if if his contract, if he basically was someone who just went home and was like, "All right, when our when, when my contract expires, I'm not renewing it, and that's that, and we walk away." Then I just wonder. I have no indication whatsoever. So I just wanted your thoughts on. That. Well, the announcement certainly wasn't a positive one, and it's not that I think there's just to throw a name out there just to paint a picture. I don't think there's necessarily Shima level tension between Drangate and Ishida, but it's it's not one where I would expect him to stroll back in uh, at some point over the next year, or even the year after. And it certainly caught my eye that he has announced that he is no longer a member of the roster. And then here comes Gamma of all people promoting his retirement show on August 14th. And it's going to be Shima and Gamma against Kazuma Sakamoto and X. And, you know, part of the reason we investigated Ishida leaving Drangate last year so heavily was that he is one of the few guys that realistically Drangate to Gleet would make sense given his relationship with Takahiro Yamamura specifically, but you look at the guys that Shima took with him when he split, and it's it's Lindemann, and it's T-Hawk, 
and it's Yamamura. And in the case of Lindemann and Yamamura, those were over-generation guys that obviously spent a lot of time with Shima, now by proxy Gamma. Do I think they're blood brothers that we don't know about? No, but Shima does have a history of specifically poaching guys from that unit, and Ashida fits that bill. And, I mean, I know that this is something that I'm certain I could go back to, to, to 2019. I, I might date, might be wrong here. But when Kaito Ishida won the Open the Brave Gate title, uh, Takahiro Yamamura, at this time, uh, at least with relations, said, like, I wanted to congratulate my friend for his great accomplishment, basically. Like, and, and it was very easily inferred everyone knew who who he was talking about it was kaito ishida so uh broad brothers couldn't tell you but a close friendship that seems to have like that that has endured after the strong heart split and, and perhaps wrestling isn't his next move you know he has uh, correct me if i'm wrong but he has a kickboxing pedigree correct i don't know exactly how he was trained in kickboxing or and and like if he's done any amateur or anything like that but that he is someone that like when we talk about Ishida's future like if someone like he brought up UT we're just going to use UT because he's a perfect example there's really only like two places that UT could end up at if he leaves Dragon Gate with Ishida very likely it could be very possible that he decides all right I'm I'm in my mid to late 20s I did this for close to a decade of my life i'm ready to move on and go into kickboxing or go do something else you know like, like i mean look at katoka look at katoka just now announced his seventh gym and a newborn son yeah i was gonna say also the birth of his first child how about that yeah so i mean it, it you hit a certain age and especially like i feel like that that's a case within this roster that you get towards the end of your 20s or 30s like i mean think about like shoya sato and when he retired i was like think about like where you are in your life and where you were like at different times, you know? Yeah. So who's to say now, whenever a free agent becomes available in the Japanese space, people always point to new Japan. I, I personally don't see an in there. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm skeptical. Oh, oh, there's ins there. There's Shingo. Yeah. Yeah, but I just, I, I don't know. I, I, maybe, maybe, I, maybe I'm just out to lunch here. I don't, I don't see New Japan going. You know what we really need right now, Kaito Ishida, and I love Ishida, and I'd book him tomorrow if I was a promoter. I don't see that being the move. I think Gleet makes a little bit more sense. I think he can be a top dog there. Whereas, and this is sort of the story of his career was, you know, he was never supposed to get to the heights that he got to. Yamamura was the prized pupil from, you know, the dojo in 2015 with him and Ishida. They took so long to find their footing that Ben K and Yoshioka and Skywalker, you know, overtook them on the card when they debuted a year later. And it wasn't until Maximum that, uh, that Ishida really found his footing. You know, he was a guy that got overlooked and overpassed and was a bit of a slow developer. And we saw, you know, like I said, we saw the peak of his career. It was him challenging Skywalker for the Dreamgate 
in Osaka last year. And that was, you know, in my top 10 matches of the year last year was my number two Dragon Gate match. But that is as high as he was going to get. He was going to lose in a Dream Gate match. He could walk into Gleet tomorrow and take that hubcap off of El Lindemann's waist and immediately become the top dog. And given the financial backing that he have, and I don't know this for sure, but I would think th- there's a, a realistic chance that he'd get a healthy payday for it. It's something like when we talk about uh, Kaito Ishida leaving, and I think this is a good time to kind of transition to this, like what Dragon Gate is losing in a lot of ways, and I think it's worth talking about because we did this rewind a couple months back, is he was someone that before his heel turn was getting legitimate groundswell pre-COVID. He was someone that out of people of his generation around it, you, you looked at him, and especially in, a, in his hometown of Osaka, and he, I don't know if he was a draw or not, but you could hear the crowd difference with him. And it, and it was, the, the, the crowd sounded different for him than they did for like Dragon Daya, for example. And that's loss. And that's something that, you know, if you were to take it into Gleep, who's to say that that's a new group of fans that did not come over when Gleep formed? You know? Like, the, the, there's a lot there that, that could be lost within the that might not that dragon gate might not miss as much but other companies like glee really could benefit from yeah i i I agree with that assessment that you know him being over to a sneaky degree and him being over as a as a baby face whether he was with maximum or you know we only saw a few months of him with crowns like a cheer when he was an red but it was something that carried over and when we Re- rewatched the rookie ranking tournament earlier this year, three years on from you know January of 2019 to now. That was the the point that I think you and I both really wanted to make on this podcast was like, hey, you know, it's been it's been two years since we've heard voices in these buildings. You might forget that there was such a groundswell of support for Ashita before he was Brave Gate champion, before he unveiled you know himself to be the Green Demon Mask, before he was in Red. He was becoming a guy, and throughout 2019 and teaming with Doi and being in more and more high-profile positions, we saw that, and we saw him delivering in those spots. So again, you know, they're not losing a Yamato or a Skywalker or a Dragon Kid. This is a loss that's probably going to hurt them more in the short term than in the long term. Because the narrative of Dragon Gate right now, and rightfully so, is, you know, God, they're dropping like flies. They lost rookies. You know, now they've lost Ashita. Do I think it's as dramatic as 2018? No, I do not. Although those situations are certainly starting to mirror each other, where we went into this year going, look at all these rookies. You know, Dragon Gate is set for life, and, and one by one, they've fallen off. And then you see some some bigger stars exit the scene as well. Unless, you know, I don't know what the accurate comp would be, you know, if Yamato and Shun Skywalker and Takuma Fujiwara and SB Kento leave and start their own promotion tomorrow, we have great cause to be concerned. Then we're entering 2018 territory. For now, it's it's an unfortunate blow after an unfortunate blow. I think as time goes on, that Ishida void will be able to be filled. But right now, it's it's hurting an already open wound. Yeah, it, it it's something that I largely co-sign with what you're saying there, that it looks bad and it 
and I mean, perception wise, there's no way anyone can ever spin it into a good thing, of course. But like when you like look at how things have shaken out for them in 2022 with people leaving the uh, the promotion, for the most part, it's not like all for like similar reasons or when you see people like walk out or don't renew before like this, like it's like half of them are too old. Half of them are didn't really get their career going. And then Kaito Ishida is kind of like the roster member that's leaving. You know, it, it, there are certain ways to read this that if you take them as isolated incidents, it's not, it doesn't even come close to 20. No, because, you know, you lost Shima, who was, you know, either, you know, Yamato or Dragon Kid or KZ, whatever figurehead you want to throw on there, you lose him. You lose T-Hawk, who at that point, I think the equivalent would probably, in many ways, be losing Coach Minora, which is a strange realization to come to. But given the way these main event pushes have gone right before Kobe World, uh, unfortunately, Minora sort of echoes what T-Hawk was in 2017. And then, you know, even though Yamamura was hurt, that's, you know, that's losing a Fujiwara type. And then you have Lindemann, who was, you know, losing an SB Kento or Hyo or, you know, a, a Kame or a Jason Lee, somebody like that. So so they're in decent shape. But again, the perception right now is that they're bleeding and and there is certainly an open wound. But I, I don't think they're in grave danger at this point in time. Yeah, it, it it's something that I'll be interested to see coming out of. I, I, I get a feeling it's like, let's get through this weekend. And that definitely was a feeling that I've picked up over the last week or so is we're going to try to get through a Kobe world with everything going on. COVID's booming back over there. A lot of things are happening on these cards. And then it's, I mean, you look at now, goal class, three members, that dog doesn't hunt. You either have to completely change it or kill it. High end, you're probably going to change it or kill it. You know, like, it, it, it's something that those are August problems. And I feel like that they're going, it's going to be like this until the shows start up again after the uh, Kobe World vacation trying to get the exact date on because they do take a it's only a week this year so by the time they're back in hiroshima on saturday after the 31st we'll probably get a better sense of that and i mean then they're right back into corken on the 10th so not a long break this year case now that i'm looking at it it's only it's less than a week usually you used to get two weeks off after uh kobe world they, they don't need time off after the the week and a half they were absent post okinawa the best thing they can do is crush it in Kobe and then build on that momentum as soon as possible. Yeah, no, I'm totally with you. And I I don't have any more in the moment thoughts. Should we start talking about the overall career of uh, Kaido Ishida, unless you had anything else you wanted to touch on before we moved on? No, I I wanted to, uh, to just kind of go through his career because this will be the last time we talk about Ishida for a while unless there's any immediate developments. And I think he's a fascinating guy to look at and just sort of big picture. You think about the seven years, almost exactly that Kaito Ishida spent in DG. Um, you know, I, I'm going to put you in an odd position, very open-ended question, but but what are your thoughts on his run? I would have loved to have seen the other string universe, the multiverse, I guess, where he doesn't have that year and a half he almost lost because of his dealing with his neck it was either completely out or hampered or returning from it because really you you have his career before that like that two-year period and then you have the three and a half years basically 
end of overgeneration and then into maximum. And we look at that three and a half year period. I mean, you, you look at the matches that he has been in, both as a singles, a tag wrestler, or and multi man stuff. And he put himself together. Like, if you want to take a sample of what Dragon Gate was during the uh, era change, the 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 change from uh, the Okamura presidency to the Kido presidency, I feel like Kaito Ishida is probably the person you pick up, and you you can through his career you can understand what Dragon Gate went through over those those years. For me, he's a guy who constantly over-delivered and it's amazing to think you know Yamamura in essence you know hasn't exactly wrestled a ton of matches over the last five years and I think Yamamura to some degree still casts a shadow over Kaito Ishida and and the idea of him moving to Gleed is intriguing to me because I don't know if that's going to make it better or worse but I was looking back at my notes looking back at my old reviews today Ashita debuts alongside Yamamura's singles match on September 11th, 2015. And what I had forgotten is that they are placed into overgeneration, which forms in October of 2015. They're in a unit a month into their careers. Did you remember this? Yeah, I, I knew it was quick. I didn't know it was like a calendar month. It, it, they basically, because overgeneration was started, and I guess we probably, seeing that seven years ago, probably should talk a little bit about why overgeneration would do this for people who weren't around in the existence of overgeneration overgeneration was taking the the original generation of torimon and affiliated wrestlers shima dragon kid and gamma and tabbing and having them team up with the stars of this generation and next generation with an emphasis on the next generation so they picked them up very quickly i knew that they did because of the concept of overgeneration but i didn't know it was like less than a month yeah, so they're in uh, when Overgeneration forms, which is that October 8th, 2015, Cork and Hall. On that show, before the main event angle in which Overgeneration forms, there is a tag match on that show, and it's Ryo Saito and Yamamura against Jimmy Susumu and Kaito Ishida. And this is a match that, for reference, I went three and three quarters on in real time. And it was uh, one of those where, you know, we're coming off of L. Lindemann. And was there a debut at the end of 2014 or was Lindemann the guy uh, no. that would have debuted before them? No, it would have gone. Let me see how well I can do this from memory. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull up your spreadsheet, but you try to do it from memory. All right. So, uh, of course, Yamamura and Ishida debut in the same match in 2015. 2014. Uh, Lindemann might have been at 2013. He might have been a little bit before L Lindemann then. was August of 2014. I know that by heart. Okay. So you had Lindemann. Uh, 2013, I guess technically you would call UT a 2013. Yes. Uh, and then 2012 was Ryosu Shimizu. Mm. Or was he technically 2011? So, so no, he was, oh, so uh, going millennials onwards, UT and Shimizu were 2013. Lindemann was 2014. Yamamura and Ishida were 2015. So I was right. There was nobody in between Lindemann and then Yamamura and Ishida. And then the right. class of 2016 follows. Yeah. So... Like you talk about this, it's worth like talking about these uh, generations and groups. Like there's the Trueborn era, there's the Next era, there's the Cursed Class of 09 and, and, and like that. And you, you kind of, in a way, 
end up being like affiliated so tightly with the people around you whenever you debut with. So it was something that it was kind of remarkable in 2015. Now that you've like said like the, 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 the years and like all this, because UT was left on a lurch. Uh, Shimizu at that time was already in, he wasn't, Diehard still existed. He, he was in Diehard. When Yamamura and Ashita debuted, this was around the time that Shimizu was shoot, getting his ass beat on shows. This was, Dangerous Gate 2015 is the show where he forgot his gear and Shima made him pay for that in front of a live pay-per-view audience. That's right. Yeah. So it, it, it's something that they were given the opportunity within the first like within the first month really because of over generation to make an impact and it took them a while really to other than being like oh the rookies are what are teaming with punch tomonaga and l lindemann because that's what over generation was at that time <laughs> and doing like openers and stuff for a while that, that's exactly it you know they have this great match in october of 2015 and i i remember the finishing stretch of it pretty well which is a, a peculiar thing you know you think about the thousands if not and this will make me sick to my stomach when i say it out loud but the tens of thousands of dragon gate matches that we've watched over the years and for some reason i can pretty well recall the finishing stretch of this match and it seemed like okay you know we're off to the races you know dragon gate has two new guys that they've always had a reputation for building these new guys up pretty fast we'll see what happens to them and as i go through my notes nothing substantial happens for the rest of 2015 and nothing substantial happens for most of 2016. He is a bottom of the car dweller who is the least important guy in a unit and over generation with, you know, Punch Tamanaga, Gamma, and other rookies. You know, he is the designated lost post there of the lost post. And it's not until Final Gate 2016, which do you remember that match off the top of your head, what Ishida did at Final Gate 2016? Well, that was Mochi Fuji wanting yes. to kick there. Well, so, so basically, for the first 15 months of their career, the, the, they were basically said, hey, you go team in this unit because that's the purpose of this unit. They showed up and basically mirrored gear and tights and and entrance capes because that was a thing of overgeneration. We're just going to leave that hanging case. We're just going to leave that one hanging. We'll, that's that's we'll, for a different podcast. If that, that caught your eye, that's for a different podcast. We'll discuss overgeneration's capes, and apparently we have to talk about Yuki Yoshioka's dick at some point. I, the amount of feedback we've got on that has been mind-blowing, so we'll table those for a separate <laughs> episode. But basically, you have these two guys because at this point, you really do consider Yamamura and Ishida as one entity that just kind of existed and until uh the veterans just got angry about this like going like you've been here for a year what are you accomplishing what are you doing what, what where is your fight and then basically don fuji and masaki much as you can going into final gates like all right you're having a match of us we'll see what kind of fight you have and it listing those two names in that context that should tell everyone what kind of match that was i wrote in my review for this all the rage right now belongs to the new crop of rookies, meaning the class of 2016. So Yoshioka, Hyo, Benkei, and Shun Skywalker. I said all the rage right now belongs to the brand new crop of rookies, and rightfully so. But this was a nice reminder that Ashida and Yamamura still exist and that they have a bright future ahead of them. We were at the point of Ashida and Yamamura are reminding you that they still exist 
when this match took place. And I, I had blocked this out of my memory. I completely forgot about this. But Mike, what do we talk about when we talk about 12-1-16? Those are, that's a date that means something to you. If you've listened to the show for a long time, you know that date. 12-1-16, what happened? That is the match with the entire class of 2016 versus the oldest members of the Dragon Gate roster. And that was a whole bunch of 40 and 50-year-old men beating the crap out of men in their teens and 20s. Do you remember that on the undercard of that show, there was an Ishida versus Yamamura singles match? That's right, because that's what brought the uh, five guys out to make the challenge. It was like, well, we saw that up there. Now we want to make our own claim. I had completely forgotten about this. Saw it on Cage Match today. Went, that doesn't sound familiar. Let me take yeah. a look at this. 12-1-16, Ishida versus Yamamura. Here is my review for this match. I say, and I quote, you can't win them all. Ashida and Yamamura are both very young in their career, especially factoring in the shockingly low amount of singles matches they've had, but this was not a good match. There was no chemistry here. It's not that this was terrible or offensively awful like the Shingo versus Gamma disaster from last December, but this wasn't a strong match. A star in three quarters. Now, I have not watched this match in six years. I have not seen this since it aired. I am dying to get my hands on this to know if this is really a star in three quarters match or if for some reason 17 year old case was just particularly grumpy that day which there's a very realistic chance I was because I was 17 <laughs> but the point stands on a night when Shun Skywalker and Ben K and Yoshioka and and all hail Katsumi Takashima they made their mark in Cork and Hall they positioned themselves as the future and Ashida and Yamamura shit the bed on the undercard and it's it's something that like at this point and really given how at least like uh Hyo Shun and Binke like they were around for a while before this match too like it was something that th this wasn't like a oh gosh we're now having seeing how 2015 is doing versus 2016 like Ben K was in Summer Adventure Tag League that year. So, so like they were getting passed up in real time with a nine month head start. Well, they, they were in Summer Adventure Tag League, but it was Ashida right. and Yamamura together. They worked non-televised matches and they lost all of their matches. Yeah. And it's, you, you know, it's something that really the things that that really starts changing for them took them until 2017, at least for Yamamura's part. Ashida has still has a lot more uh, trials and tribulations before he gets to where things start to take off. So this is the important part. This is why I say that Ashida still lives in Yamamura's shadow because what happens is the calendar turns to 2017. They end their year with that Mochi Fuji match. All of a sudden they have some momentum and they come into Osaka second show of the year. And Ashida hurts his neck and he's out five months. And this is compounded on the fact that Masato Yoshino uh, would get hurt the next week and it would miss a bunch of time. I think there was a third injury. Maybe it was Gamma that got hurt also. And all of a sudden, the roster is depleted. And February 4th, 2017, who steps up but Takahiro Yamamura? And with the snap of Shima's fingers, practically, Yamamura became this made guy, a singular star-making performance in one night, the 20-minute time limit draw with Big R Shimizu in match number two, and then Shima and Mochizuki stepping aside and letting those two wrestle in the main event in their place. That is on the Dragon Gate Network. All of the shows from 2017 are on there. February 4th, Cork and Hall, 
that is in a weird way, one of the most important shows of, you know, at the very least the last 10 years, but maybe in all of Dragon Gate history. Uh, and Ashida's nowhere to be found. His partner laps him. And when Yamamura takes off, he takes off immediately. And he becomes the guy that people thought he was going to be. You know, Jay said it, not on the most recent episode that dropped this week, but the last time we talked to him, you know, Yamamura was the last guy that he went all in on. And Jay has seen them come and he's seen them go. You know, he was there for Shingo's debut. He was there for Hulk's debut. He was there for Tozawa's debut. He's been there for all of them. And he, along with the powers that be in Dragon Gate, saw something in Yamamura that said, if everything goes right, this guy is going to be the future of Dragon Gate. Unfortunately, as we know, everything did not go right. And it's amazing to think during that time away how much further Yamamura uh, progressed and moved past Ashida, only for Ashida to come back in 2017. And this is what I noticed as I was going through my notes was once he comes back from that neck injury, and this is not a very common thing in wrestling, but once he comes back, Ashida puts himself in a position to succeed, and he has some really strong matches in the summer of 2017. Notably, there's a six-man. It's Eita, Ashida, and Yamamura versus Binkei, Big R Shimizu, and Kotoka. Five-unit survival race uh, from Cork and Hall. Again, that is on the Drangate Network as well. And I have in my notes that you know this was a you know a big-time match. You know, with Yamamura and Eita and Binkei being pushed to the moon. And Kaito Ishida really made his presence felt here. And from there, we start to see what would become modern Kaito Ishida, the tail end of overgeneration into what would, you know, what would become maximum in 2018. Yeah, and it, it's something that I always forget that Yamamura was around by the time Ishida did. Because, like, the neck injury, that like, that was something that it was, like, five months out, but there was stuff around it for time like sandwiching it the entire time like i think like i remember hearing stuff in 2016 but like people are like oh yeah or, or like a show got announced but like, kaido shida has been pulled for the show due to a neck injury or something like this like it, it it was an ongoing concern but i didn't realize that he came back and yamamura was healthy Yes, yeah. So so summer of 2016, Ashida misses a number of shows because of injuries. And, you know, he's never exactly been a pillar of health. We talked about, you know, Dragon Kid, uh, who has had his injuries, but is now in a remarkable shape. We talked about Susumu. We talked about Genki. These are guys that haven't missed a match in 25 years. Ashida has never had that reputation. So he, he, he starts to deal with that injury in the summer of 2016, works through it. Beginning of 2017, he gets hurt. He misses, you know, six months, essentially. Comes back in June and then is back full-time by World. And from there, you know, yeah, that's that's what we see is we see a little glimpse of Ashida and Yamamura together. And that's the crazy thing is, again, we associate these two guys with one another. But it's almost like, I don't know if placebo effect is the right word, but we really don't have a lot of these guys teaming together because Yamamura gets hurt in October. So, you know, like you said, you know, there's three months of these guys healthy and past young boy status. And it's just such a shame that we didn't get more of that. Yeah. And it's something that. It's very hard, especially considering like when you talk about the Dragon Gate Dojo in a lot of ways, because until uh, like case i don't know if you still have that my spreadsheet up up there is basically this time period after the next class in 2008 2009 up until the class of 2016 
where I wouldn't say it's anemic and it's still an output that I think that other companies would salivate over, but it was something that you get one or two guys. So the fact that there was two at once and debuting at the same time, it's it, it it's something that like yeah, no, it's silly in retrospect given that probably I I would guess thirty times they were in the ring together, but they're they're just forever linked because after one guy a year, one guy a year, one guy a year. We got two all of a sudden at the same time. Yeah, cage match shows just matches where they're in the ring with one another. And this is teaming and this is wrestling each other. Dark matches included 87 times. And that just, that feels wrong. It feels like this should be like a, uh, like a Shelly and Saban type deal where they're destined to do this forever. And maybe they go their separate ways, but they always come back. And it just, it wasn't the case. And that is, you know, the unfortunate thing about Yamamura. And I, it, it's weird. I think about it sometimes just as the day goes by of, you know, he he's so lucky to survive two life-threatening wrestling-related injuries. And it's it's such a bummer because when the book on Dragon Gate is written and a chapter, you know, is done on the what-ifs, because I'm going to just crib that straight from the Bill Simmons book of basketball, because I think that's the best chapter in that book. You know, the Drangi what-ifs, Yamamura's got to be a top five. Just what if this guy's career plays out differently? Because I, I think uh, I think we really missed something there, and for as much as I like Ashida, and we'll get back to him in a second, you know, it, it, if Ashida goes away in 2017, let's just say this situation happens, but it happens five years earlier. We're not sitting on this podcast in 2022 going, you know, God, what, what could have been with Kaito Ashida? Yeah. It, it's it, when you bring up like the top five, like think, what ifs? I immediately, then I was like, all right, then number one, of course, split doesn't happen. Yeah. That, that's number one. Number two, Magnum doesn't go to dust. I think that's fair to say Magnum given like that. Then you're like getting to like a point of things where Yamamura, like, like, like when he was debuted, this was back, and this will really blow like some really newer fans' minds. Uh, I I read the last time we even referred to this on iHeartDG. There used to be bios, and Yamamura's bio, and I went and uh, while this happened, I was like, I was wondering where this all happens from, and I saw I was like, oh where it translated from it was it, it was like citation and, and the big one was yamamura considers shima a second father yeah like the, this was a this was a kid that basically egos whatever not getting in the way case and lo, let's just say thing the the mom and dad stay together for the family yamamura is probably main eventing world oh god if he stays healthy i i don't see uh any way that that's not happening i mean that's a guy who if he stays healthy through 2018 and beyond i i think it's realistic to say a lot of masato yoshino's retirement would be based around bestowing the company onto yamamura i mean this this is the way he was talked about and again you know i i always listen to jay very carefully when he talks about yamamura because you know, he was just on our podcast, and I, I love Jay, and I, I say this with love. He's not exactly the most excitable person in the world, especially when it comes to Drangi, because like I said, he's seen it all. But there is a, a tone and a reverence that he speaks with Yamamura that is just not there for some guys. And, and it was that way for a reason. You know, 
with Shima, to go back to your point, there's a reason that Yamamura fucking DJs on Gleet shows. And it's because there is a certain debt of gratitude that these people feel like they owe this kid because of what he could have been. And it's no one's fault that he got injured, but we're in this position now where it's like, okay, how else can we use this guy if he can't wrestle because we still want him around? Yeah, and the the reason why you when you talk about she talk about Yamamura is from day one they were inexorably linked. And while we get into the fall of 2017 and Yamamura's tragic injury, that's when things really started to get going for Kaito Ishida, whereas he became the sole bright spot of Overjoy. To put a pin in this, they could have been Shingo versus Hulk for the new generation. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no. And as we could, and now as we always said, Clearly, I'm more a big ace babyface. Ishida is the monster heel. There you go. Off the races for 50. So, like you said, over generation winds down. It's this painful unit. You know, we're now existing by, you know, summer of 2018 in this post-OWE split where Natural Vibes 1.0 is going on. We're in the midst of the Antios run. And the only real bright spot in the company is Maximum which is Masato Yoshino, Naruki Doi, Jason Lee, and uh, some combination of Big Ben, depending on who had turned heel and who hadn't at this point. And Dragon Kid and Ashida find themselves without a unit, and they begin knocking down Naruki Doi's, Naruki Doi's door, saying, hey, you got to let us into Maximum. Hey, we want a team with you guys. Hey, Maximum is really cool. You, you, should, you should let us wrestle with you guys. And, and Doi and Yoshino kind of no-sell them for a little bit, and they're not entirely sold on it. And they go through a number of matches where they wrestle against one another and then they start teaming together and then they join the unit. And we see over the last half of 2018, you get this really special time in Maximum where it's Yoshino and Doi and Jason and Dragon Kid and Ishida and you get Pac coming into the company. And at this point now we're dealing with R.E.D. instead of Antios and you've got Shun Skywalker and Ben K really starting to take shape and they're starting to understand who they are. And now things are clicking. And, and one of the notable things is that Kaito Ishida is really leading this charge. And he's a guy who, like I said, you know, he has no four-star matches with me in 2016. He's got a handful in 2017. And then by 2018, like, all right, he's he's in some big matches. He's in Triangle Gate matches, and he's delivering, and he's the focal point of some big Corkin matches. And it all feels like it's starting to pay off. This is when he is becoming a guy for a lack of a better term. And it's all of this work that he did in Maximum, which I, I think will go down as one of the uh, stronger points of his career at the end of 2018 into 2019, which we've talked about before with him and the rookie ranking tournament, uh, the match with UT, and then the match with Shun Skywalker, which we've talked about on this podcast recently. But if you have any uh, thoughts on it now, I'd love to hear them. So going through the end of Overgeneration into him joining Maximum, I had to pull up this match and again, the overgeneration show will come. But just to get a sense of where Ishida ended up becoming in the pecking order, Dragon Kid is the last elimination to end overgeneration, as he should. But Kaito Ishida gets the big falls over uh, Yazushi Kanda, gets the first fall in, over Yazushi Kanda, and then he eliminates Akashi Yoshida in this match going into the finishing stretch. So it, it's something where even in the summer, before they started doing the maximum 
uh, begging series. And it just continues into a really strong fall, which we talked about in our rookie ranking league turn uh, episode that he was someone along with a lot of the younger part of the roster that were putting things together in a way that when 2019 hit, things were off to the races and especially off the races for Kaito Ishida as this is when we're entering his peak, right? I've mentioned this podcast a number of times. It was recorded three and a half years ago, and I still think it's relevant to Drangate in its current landscape. But I, I recorded a podcast with Alan Forel, our friend over at Pro Wrestling Torch. This might have been the first show that I did for him on the Torch. That's besides the point. I'm just now thinking about that, though. Uh, and we talked about how this promotion that we've loved, you know, with Shingo and Shima and Tozawa as, as our guys was transitioning into something else. And and because so many people had fallen off of just even casually paying attention to Drangate from the end of 2016 into the OWE turmoil in 2018, by the rookie ranking tournament in, in 2019, we were really venturing into uncharted waters. And this was not a company that was on everybody's radar at this point, and especially the guys in that tournament, you know, Yuti and Skywalker and Yoshioka and Ishida, these were not made guys. These were not names that that people who even just browse cage match listings or or maybe even, you know, just to throw out just a comp to try to provide some context with this, you know, your your standard listener of the Voices of Wrestling flagship podcast or the Eastern Lariat podcast that Striga and Dylan do. Like, I don't think these are names that would have registered with all of those listeners. But what Alan and I had identified was, you know, there's a, a changing style in Dragon Gate. You know, it's not it's not your father's Dragon Gate anymore. These are bantam weight style wrestlers who are throwing these heavy kick combinations and these flurries of strikes. And they're doing dives, but they're they're doing topes. They're not doing moonsaults off the top rope. And Ishida was one of the guys that that led the charge there. You know, he and UT and Skywalker were just different compared to what we have seen. And, and that really takes shape in the rookie ranking tournament that we talked about. And for Ishida, it really carries throughout the year. 2019 is a year where he does probably start to finish the best work of his career. There's a really good Ben K match in King of Gate. Uh, there is the phenomenal, as in I think one of the better, you know, Kobe World matches of all time. We did our top 10 last week. This fell just outside of my top 10. But that Kobe World match that was Shimizu and Eita versus Kai and Yamato versus Ashida and Doi from 2019, that's a four and three quarter star match. And the bulk of that work is done by Kaito Ashida. So once we enter the summer months, uh, into the fall when he wins that Brave Gate title. This is a guy who has gone from preliminary undercard wrestler to a guy that showed some potential to a guy that not only capitalized on that potential and met us where he, we thought we, uh, he would meet us, he blew past that and became this really important uh, leader. In, in terms of the fans' eyes, in terms of what I was watching you know, we're still entering these very unfamiliar uh, uh, passages with Shima gone and with no Lindemann and with no T-Hawk. And in a weird way, Kaito Ishida was one of those guys where I was like, I think Dragon Gate's going to be okay. Ishida's not a normal Dragon Gate wrestler, but if he can keep doing this, I think we're going to be in good hands. Yeah, and if this happened coinciding with the crowd support that started to get behind him around the rookie ranking tournament. But by the time that Gate Destiny in Osaka, his hometown, in 2019, when he won the Brave Gate against Asumi Yokosuka 
it was something that it became like that show was like a full on homecoming for Kaito Ishida when he won that Brave Gate title. And it felt like, wow, now we have like a genuine, like mid card baby face young star. Like that th- this is one of those like those things in Dragon Gate when you like you know when someone is starting to get made like this. Like like you talk about how Yamamura was made in one night here. His was a lot slower. But when it was hard to like walk away from Get Destiny in twenty nineteen without any other impression about Kaido Ishida other than, all right, this is his crowning moment. Now he's off the races. Let's see where he goes. You look at that Gate of Destiny card, and again, this is Gate of Destiny 2019, November 4th. This is on the Drangate Network, or at least it should be. If it's not, I apologize. It's not my fault. Um, look at the featured matches on this show. It's Ben K versus Yoshino, which was a big match, but we assumed Ben would win. The Twin Gate match is Shimizu and Eita versus Ryo Saito and Yasushi Kanda. The Triangle Gate match is the Strong Machines versus Dragon Kid, Jason Lee, and Doi. In the undercard, outside of that really, really fun KZ and Yamato versus Mochizuki and Skywalker match, the undercard is a bunch of nothing. I mean, there's that. It, it, I see it listed here. Hyo, Kazuma, Takashi Yoshida, and Diamante versus Genki, Kness, Super Shisa, and Ultimo Dragon, which I believe I gave a dud to. I think that's one of my least favorite Dragon Gate matches over the last decade. This is Th- a show. That was before uh, everyone, a lot of those people on that heel side got good over COVID. Yes, this is when we were still the only two Hyo fans on earth, this is when <laughs> I was the only person going, okay, I know it's fun to meme Cosmo Sakamoto, but I think he's actually very good. Nothing changed with Yoshida. You're not missing anything there. But if let, let's say you started listening to this podcast six months ago. You, you tuned in this year. You have probably heard us every week rave about Diamante and how we're afraid that U.S. Indies are going to watch this guy and scout him and take him away from Japan. I weirdly... I. I I have a coworker who's a pretty big wrestling fan, like it really into AEW definitely knows what new Japan is like that sort of stuff is on his radar. I happen to be in his office when you sent me the Ashita stuff yesterday and I go, Oh, Oh, hold on. So- something in the Japanese wrestling world just happened because he's the one person I could say that to without getting my ass kicked. And then <laughs> I, he starts like asking me Dragon Gate questions. Cause he, he knew, he knew I was into wrestling on a deeper level but he didn't exactly know what it was and i started telling him i he started asking me about some guys and i was like look there's this guy diamante that if you saw him he'd blow your fucking mind like he's he's like a base like claudio but he can jump around like ricochet like he's just unbelievable anyways there was a point in time where diamante was a bad wrestler and november of 2019 was that time period so if you're new to this show just know that the diamante you're getting now is not the diamante we first got when he was in drangate the point to all of this <laughs> is that Gate of Destiny was a show that for people like you and me was entirely built around Ishida versus Susumu for the Brave Gate belt. And not only did that match deliver in terms of being a great match, but that match delivered in terms of crowning Kaito Ishida with a title that he damn well deserved. And it was so satisfying to watch. And then what happened less than three weeks later? Okay. Uh, T-Hawk and L. Lindemann unveiled themselves as the Masked Demons. Well, <laughs> sorry, that was a joke specifically for Mike. <laughs> that was that was that was a scoop we got around the time of like I heard it's uh from from somebody that has been right about stuff before, but some somebody was like, uh, yeah, I'm I'm being told that T Hawk and Lindemann are under those masks, and I was like, I'm telling you now, you're incorrect, but 
we will see uh, when it happens. And it turned out to be what, Ashida and Akuda? No, it was Ashida. Well, it was Ashida and Hulk. Akuda was the fake one the next year. Completely forgot that Hulk was under one of those as well. Wow. Yeah, Hulk, Hulk was red. Uh, Ashida was green. Completely forgot about the Hulk thing. But anyways, go on. Fill in the timeline for me. So R.E.D. at this time started to be uh, followed by what were called uh, the Red Demon Mask and Green Demon Mask. And they were guys that were in bright red jumpsuits with like just Halloween masks. And they they, they held up the same role that uh, that Dr. Muscle and Metal Warrior did. And it it was saying like, oh, it's Christmas season. I have a whole bunch of surprises for you. And the first one was that at the Korkin, it was like within, it was the first Korkin that Kaito Ishida was Brave Gate champion. A, the Green Demon Mask unmasked, and it was Kaito Ishida being furious that uh, that Yoshino and Doi were fawning over Ultimo Dragon and defecting over to Ari. Good times were had by all. This was a really fun angle. The Ishida turn was shocking given the feel good moment that just happened in Osaka. And then he kicked off that reign with a uh, a defense against Jason Lee, which was excellent. Yeah, because that Jason's the the takeaway I have from that heel turn of Jason just looking first heartbroken and then furious when it like sunk in that Ishida played him into the like, excellent Bravegate match, and then Kaido Shia was off to the races as we went into 2020 as Bravegate champion, and then COVID happened, and he was still Bravegate champion case, but. R.E.D. at this time was changing in a lot of Yeah, Oshida is a really important part of 2020, and it, it's one of those deals that I think is going to get lost to time because nobody in their rightful mind is going to go back and watch, you know, let alone King of Gate 2020 in front of the empty arena, but the Rainbow Gate shows that followed that were dry and, and depressing and really hard to watch. But Oshida became this guy that, with every outing, it seemed like he was doing something really interesting. And I and I said this on the podcast a few weeks ago, and it, I, I'm glad I was able to vocalize it because I, I really believe it that, you know, a lot of what Drangate does is good. I, I think their biggest strength is their consistency that very rarely does anything fall below that bar uh, of bad wrestling. And that's part of the reason I'm so worked up about this Kobe World Main event is – not only was it a rare angle that I think flopped and was bad, but it happened to be the biggest angle of the year. And I, it, it makes me want to pull my, my hair out, even though I've got a buzz cut. It puts me in a very stressful position. But Ashida, uh, the, the, the way that I, I really look at this company is, you know, who's interesting right now? Everybody's good. The baseline roster is good. Who's interesting? And Ashida in 2020 was that interesting guy where whether it was Genki Horiguchi at Champion Gate, which will probably go down as the last great Genki Horiguchi singles match, or whether it was Yosuke Santamaria at Dangerous Gate for the Brave Gate belt, which is a crazy underrated match. That match was insane. And there was a real moment where it looked like Maria might win the belt and Ashida hung on, or obviously the Kaisuke Akuda feud which you and I lost our minds over at the time, and rightfully so, because for that calendar year, that was the best feud in wrestling. Ashida show-in and show-out was the guy, and it was at a time where, you know, I was just really burnt out on Hialeta, and I, I wasn't feeling like he was capable of leading a heel unit. He got saved when Pac came in, Pac exited, and then all of a sudden, 
Ashida became this far more interesting figure than Ata. And I was sitting here on this podcast going, wait a minute, why is this not Ashida's unit? Why is Ashida not wrestling for the Dream Gate? Why is he not in these main event belts or these main event matches? I think the Brave Gate belt might be beneath him with the way he's performing compared to the way that Ata's performing. And it all, you know, comes to a head uh, with the Toriumon versus RED match at the end of the year that Ashida's in. Uh, it's a five star match, but his 2020 top to bottom is the best year of his career. And it just happened to happen uh, in, a, in a hellscape. Yeah, and if we're going to, like, and this is a wild thing to do right now. I struggle to think of people who had a better COVID 2020 than Kaito Ishida. Like, especially given the difficulties, especially in 2020 COVID. Like, especially in Japan, no one was doing stuff as interesting as Ishida versus Okuda. In America, it was a real mixed bag. It was, there's an argument to be made that through the Okuda feud and then going into the end of Toriyama versus R.E.D., that Kaito Ishida might have been the best wrestler in COVID conditions in 20. So I'm looking at my SFM 50 from 2020, and he finished 14th for me. Or I, I'm sorry, I think he finished 14th total. Um, he finished 14th total. My number one Dragon Gate wrestler was a guy who, as I'm looking at my list, and I wouldn't have been able to pull this with a gun to my head. I had to look at my notes and make sure that this was accurate. My number one wrestler in 2020, I voted him most outstanding, and I voted him Flair Fez. And that man was Naruki Doi. Yeah, no. Yeah. Completely rewrote the narrative about him as Dreamgate champion. Complete, yeah. Completely forgot. If you look at Doi's 2020, he's in the five-star Toriyaman versus R.E.D. match, and then he's in my next three top Gate matches, Doi versus KZ, Doi versus Eita, Doi versus Susumu, and then throughout the year, he's in a litany of great multi-man matches. I've got him at 12 matches at four stars or higher with one five-star match in 2020. So I didn't come on this podcast to praise Naruki Doi, but here we are. <laughs> but there we are. And that's concluded 2020. He, at, at the end of the feud, Okuda would take the Brave Gate title. And then the remainder of his uh, time in Dragon Gate, I feel like it's kind of the end of R.E.D., working tags, kind of just being the number two to Eita, and then... The two of them getting kicked out of the unit on January 12th, 2022, and kind of their wilderness going into uh, Gold Class. Yeah, I think the last year and a half of Ashida's run can really be marked as this point where you and I were both going, okay, what's next? You know, what's the next big thing for Ashida? And I don't think we ever got that. Again, his peak is going to be him versus Skywalker champion in Osaka last year. For me, it was a four and three quarter star match. It was the exact match that I was hoping for in the sense that it was the match that Skywalker needed uh, during his Dreamgate run. It was the match that Ashida needed to establish himself worthy of a Dreamgate challenge. And it built off of their 2019 rookie ranking tournament final match. So it, it was just a perfect storm of things I wanted and a really near perfect match. And it's not like this guy was de-emphasized. Again, he was, you know, challenging for the Twin Gate belt at Speed Star Final last year, that brilliant Shimizu and Susumu versus Ashida and Sakamoto match. Uh, and then, you know, throughout the year, he's he's maybe not in the most important matches, but he's in a number of those RED versus Masquerade matches. You know, he's always around. He was always doing something to reuse this term. He was always doing something interesting. But you and I were both waiting on what that next big thing was going to be. And 
for a moment it looked like gold class and then his chemistry with them fizzled and you and I will be left with that that ellipses or that question mark that what's next for Kaito Ishida it, it might be glee it might be kickboxing it might be opening a restaurant I don't know but the conclusion of his Dragon Gate career is ultimately unsatisfying because it feels like he was capable of accomplishing more yeah and it felt like that he's someone that i mean i i'm of the belief that really wrestlers like your 30s are really where everything comes together he wasn't even at his prime no like that's the thing that gets me it's like oh no this guy really like was like adding to stuff and like you could tell like if you're watching stuff like even within like a year long time period like you'd be like okay he's progressed and changed like that and at least in a dragon gate ring for the uh for the future i don't anticipate like i don't think three years from now he's going to show back up but it that that and that sucks and that's that's something that i think that i again wonder when like everyone was kind of like all right he's on the way out we got to kind of get stuff going here because that's the only way now in retrospect that that july corkin angled now it's it's disappointing i i really would have liked to have seen him lead his own unit i just yeah i just want to know what that would have looked like because i i believe he was talented enough to do it i believe he was charismatic enough to do it but there's a part of me that you know could be sold on the idea that hey if he leads a unit it's going to flop and i i think i'm about 95 percent sure it would have worked but i i think with him there was a risk there and that that's very intriguing to me and that's something that i would have liked to have seen played out unfortunately it's not going to happen uh and we'll see what that next step is again if i were a betting man my money would be on the gamma retirement show on august 14th and then then moving into a position in cleat but i i do not know for sure i have not heard anything from anybody that has had recent contact with him and we'll see where it goes but a, a fascinating seven-year career somebody who left his mark in the moment somebody that i think will be remembered in certain matches and moments historically whether it's you know the, the twin gate match from uh, 2019 the skywalker Dreamgate challenge the unveiling of him being the green demon mask those are all really important things uh, at least a, a, in the history of dragon gate for me and although this departure is not only not what i was expecting but not what i wanted i think history will be very kind to the seven years that he spent in dragon gate yeah there's gonna be someone like a decade from now that's going to rediscover his 2020 and Yeah, I you know, I, I I think there's a lot of wrestlers in the world right now that could watch what Kaito Ishida does and they could learn a lot from him. So uh, if his name being in the news cycle for whatever reason uh, gets people interested in his work, even though he's leaving Dragon Gate now, I, I look at that as a positive. I, I dread what's going to be in the Observer this week. Uh, who knows who was telling Dave what? And maybe this is a, an unnecessary sideswipe, but I'm thinking about it now as I sit here to... Uh, Maybe wait for the podcast next week, depending on what Dave says, and we can we can try to vet him if he goes uh, buck wild, given sources that don't know what they're <laughs> talking about. We'll see. I'm just I'm 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 paranoid about it now because I really like Dave, I really respect Dave, but he's missed the mark repeatedly this year, and this is a bases loaded situation for him to miss the mark and hit a, a false grand slam. So we'll see what happens there. I'm willing to guess he's going to go down on three strikes on. I. I think 
I just I just have a feeling there's going to be some batshit stuff in the Drangate section this week. And if he's if he's no, no matter what, we'll try to verify what he says. But I right. I would I would urge caution and common sense and remember who has been right about everything this year. By the way, I should note M3K challenging for the Triangle Gate belts at, at Altimo's 35th anniversary <laughs> show. Who fucking told you that two months ago? I told you what the Triangle Gate story was. I laid it out spot for spot. The only thing I got wrong was that Peros at one point had a single defense against natural vibes on a house show. That is the only part of this plan from March onwards that I was incorrect about. We had Jay back us up on the Nozawa stuff earlier this week. We have been right about Dragon Gate stuff this year, and Dave has not. And I feel like that's relevant to say with a story this big where things could go so awry so fast. Well, Case, you're pretty confident about feeling right about things. Let's do our preview and predictions on this final card that we have for Kobe World 2022, the Ultimo Dragon 35th anniversary celebration and Kobe Pro Wrestling Festival 2022. Uh, if you all have listened to the episode from Sunday, you all would have already been aware that we did not have a full card when we had that show with Jay. So we're going to go through, and we didn't really give predictions. So we're going to go through the shows and the matchups that we have here to close out this week here. So if you're living under a rock and you're at a certain point here, Kobe World Weekend is this weekend. It kicks off on the 30th. It will be at 4 p.m. local time. That's 3 a.m. on the East Coast. 12 a.m. on the West Coast, 8 a.m. Greenwich Mean Time. And Match Zero Case going up on YouTube. Open the Brave Gate, number one contender, Bow Royal, Ginky Horiguchi, Sachioko Boy, Problem Dragon, Punch Tomonaga, UT, Super Shenlong 3, Ishinahashi, the returning Ryo Fuda, who was announced returning at this week, uh, SB Kento, and Ho Ho Loon. We know Jay is pulling for a Ho Ho here, Case. Who are you feeling about in this? I should note real quick, Mike and I are splitting coverage on VoicesOfWrestling.com. I will be reviewing this Ultimo 35th anniversary show. Mike will be taking Kobe World the following day. I am going to do everything in my power to watch this show live and to have a review up before Kobe World. I can't make any promises, but I will see what I can do. This is a very busy weekend for me uh, in, in my job, but we'll see what happens. But as for the opening Battle Royal, first of all, what a fun bunch of guys. I'm I'm into this. I normally don't like titles being decided or number one contenderships rather being decided by battle royals, but this is a fun group of guys. And given the long-term story that's being told, and you know, if you're paying attention to sort of the the disintegration of Zebrats, I would uh I would once again put my money on SB Kento coming out of this and SB Kento challenging uh for the Bravegate title at some point this weekend. Yeah, I could see that logic that he definitely is the person in this matchup that is at least highest station currently on the roster. Ho-Ho, I mean, it's just a nice story. You it, know, it, would be, it would be great because I think with the right match, either against Dragon Daya or Hyo, I think Ho-Ho would deliver in that spot. Uh, it would be a very nice story if Ho-Ho won this match. Yeah, um, I'll pull for UT here. I mean, he's like the other person other than SB Kento who's who's much too big of a name for this kind of match, you know? So U UT versus Daya, that's fast. Let me throw a name at you as a... Uh, ju just tell me if you think there's a realistic chance they could be the final man standing in this battle royal. 
do you think Super Shenlong has any chance of winning? I think that Super Shenlong 3 has a better chance of winning than the than most others that we have not. Better chance than Fuda. Better yes. chance than Sachihoko Boy. God, Easily. God willing, a better chance than Punch. Are we on the same page there? Right. Better chance than Problem Dragon. Better chance than Genki. Better chance than Ishan. Right. Then you're getting to the other four, the other three that we've already talked about. UT, and, and, SP- yeah, and I, and I would go some some order of probably SBK, UT, Ho-Ho, and Shenlong, but I don't think you can rule out Shenlong here. No, I, I think we could rule out the other six, but those four are the ones that I would look at as the people that you could put in a Brave Gate match the next night and not be embarrassed. Uh, the official opener is Gold Class versus uh, Natural Vibes KZ, Shimizu and Strong Machine J versus Minora, Doi, and Minorita. Hey, we're getting the Minorita act in Kobe World. This is going to be awkward, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it, it'll be interesting to see that they, they let Minorita get wins when he's clearly the fall post. So Who I, I think it's... Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, like, but with Minora, Minora win, uh, going to main event the next night, he has to win. Who would have thought six months ago that Strong Machine J would arguably be in a more favorable position than Coach Minora at Kobe World? Uh, it's the one that I don't expect people to reject, at least, you know? By the way, I was right about Strong Machine J as well. <laughs> that's just that's just a personal victory because i was real like oh i hope this works out i put a lot of stock out of this guy and then he break danced in cork and hall and i felt really good about myself for the rest of the day yeah uh do, do you really have a prediction for that match? no i think i, I think menorah's got a win and he's probably going to pin strong machine j uh as an act of defiance against me yeah uh speaking about acts of defiance well can is, i can i ask you a question real quick yeah what's up first of all that was very inviting. Thank you for that. It just made me, made, made me feel good. Um, KZ, no big matches at, uh, at Kobe this year. Do you, yeah. do, you, do you make anything of that? I mean, I said to you, I don't remember if I said this privately or if I said this on the air. What this card is missing is special singles match challenge KZ versus Takuma Fujiwara. And that not happening sucks that that is the type of match that was needed on one of these shows and i'm really bummed that it's not yeah i i I think that there's a better propensity for a special singles match and stuff that's not announced for the 31st but i would have had yeah because kz and ut like i was figuring that they probably defend gurkha masks matt belts you know that's what i was figuring that's a good point. I forgot they had those. That that seems realistic. Although we yeah. don't have a Twin Gate match for World yet. Yeah, we don't have one for World. We have one for Ultimo. We don't have one on the second night. Yeah, that's that's strange, right? You you would think that something would be would be set up, you know, like it's they, the they got to go back to one night. I the the Yoshino thing was very defensible. I got it. Even the Ultimo thing, the the logistics behind why they're doing it, I don't have a problem with that. But I can't handle another year of two night booking, and I'm trying to think just off the top of my head. So it's 2022 now. So next year, 25 years will be 1998. 15 will be 2008. Those don't seem like big anniversaries, as far as I can tell. So no. maybe we'll be in the clear, assuming that you know 
Yamato doesn't retire or something. Yeah, no, like, th this is, like, one of the few ones, because, like, yeah, you, you would probably do something for Dragon Kid's 25th anniversary, right? That's, they're doing it here. So, like, there's not a lot of available big enough names, basically. Yeah, that's good. But, uh, no, we've got this, uh, part of my French with this fucked up six-man tag. You want to talk about it? Yeah, I, I had a really great transition that you pulled me out of. Just oh, so, oh, I'm so, sorry. Oh, no, no, it's totally okay. Totally okay. Yeah, we, we, we have the team that's going after my heart. And Kanichiro Rai, Gurukan Mask, and the Bodyguard versus Takashi Yoshida, Binke, Madoka Kakuda. So we do have, like, the three biggest guys on the roster going against the absolute sleaze lords. So we're obviously going to get a lot of Binke and Bodyguard stuff here, but my fear right. is that... Kakuta's going to hit a discus lariat on Arakan and it's going to break Arakan in half. Yeah, yeah. There's, like, a, there's a better chance that Arakan is broken in half than there is that Punch Tamanaga wins the Brave Gate Battle Royal. Oh, like, by measures of magnitude. <laughs> like, lo, 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 like, you know, like, when they talk about, like, exponential stuff, it's like, by this time, it's... When this same thing is this exponentially small, it's the size that you of a saint of grain. It's like Punch Monog is that saint of grain. Uh, Kanichiro Rai just eating a hand of God and like dislocating something. That's Mount Everest. Grain of sand, Mount Everest. Well put, Mike. All right. The uh, Brave Gate match uh, Dragon Die defense against Hio. The winner will face the winner of the Battle Royal on night two. Let's just talk about both the Brave Gate stuff here. Do you think Kyo's going to upset Dragon Die? I'm I'm going to say no. I I I would be very cautious about putting any titles or importance on Zebrats right now. I think for as strong as this unit is, there's a lot of signs pointing towards August and September being massive uh, a time of massive reformation for this unit and because of that i think dia retains here yeah i mean i uh, like case you're taking all your victory laps here i was the heel guy uh, i you more than anybody else ever have been the heel guy my boy has done it he's in a title match at kobe world baby but uh just like looking at how everything's set up with like the battle royal and all of this I look at the Battle Royal and really not a lot of, like Hio will have a Hio match, but like people that I'm like, okay, that could be really interesting. Like how you were talking about with like UT or Shenlong or Ho-Ho, like you have that there. Whereas with Daya, you put Daya in against uh, seven out of the 10 guys in that Brave Gate match. Oh, let people figure out which ones I think won't be that. And you know, you're going to be getting a match on the, the much higher end of that. And yeah, as you're saying, Zebrats is looking to shake up uh, the August Corkin is traditionally called Scandalgate. Okay. Absolutely. So you look at their history this year. Uh, Hyo and Daya have wrestled twice, once in King of Gate, once in Hyo's hometown for the Brave Gate. Both of those matches ended in a double countout. So given Hyo's uh, history of doing that, he has the edge on Daya here. I think Daya gets his win back. And then we're put in a position where, you know, for me, it would be Daya versus SB Kento, which has happened twice this year. And Daya has won both of those matches. I think there's a realistic chance he could go 3-0. and Let me ask you, what do, do you think there's a realistic possibility that if, if SB Kento wins the Battle Royal, 
and Hyo win, and then Hyo can win the Brave Gate. Do you think there's any chance they wrestle in a singles match at Kobe World? I mean, the only reason you do that is to show that it could happen, right? Like, it's a match that does not need to happen. Like, it's a cute thing, but it's not. I, I think it'd be very unrealistic, but I also can't rule it out. I, I think there's going to be... There, there's just... I would be prepared for a lot of weird Zebrat stuff over the next month and a half, and, and Hyo versus SB Kento would fit that bill. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, then we have Kagator's 20th anniversary match. Uh, we knew who Kagator was teaming with. It is his former... Uh, I mean... I mean, Taro Nohashi was his classmate, but it is Taro Nohashi and Jinsei Senzaki and Michinoku Pro, of which were Kakatora, worked in between the end of Toriumon and El Dorado and returning back into Dragon Gate and the three people he's drawn on the other side. A lot of power fighter teams on this Ultimo 35. We had Yoshida, Benkei, and Kakuda. Now it's Don Fuji, Shuji, Kondo, and Toru Awashi. Why aren't we getting like the 500 kilogram? challenge happening here reinforce the ring with these these two trio (laughs) yeah this is this is in the stretch of matches i think the brave gate the kagatoro match and then what follows the dragon kid 25th anniversary these are going to be the matches that set the tone if the brave gate drags and the kagatoro match is just okay and the masato tanaka match is good but not great this is a show that they could very easily underwhelm and it's going to be a very long show and it could be a long four, four and a half hours. If these matches are just okay, if the brave gate match hits and the Kagatora match over delivers, then Masato Tanaka just does his thing. Okay. Now we're in good shape. I love the names here. I love when Nohashi shows up. I love that Fuji Kondo, Awashi trio. I, I have hopes that this will be a very fun match and it can really set the tone for, as crazy as this sounds, this match could set the tone for the next six matches. Yeah, because we're not even at the halfway point with this match. Yeah, no, like there's enough here that honestly, I'm more confident in this match than I'm in of uh, the match coming up after that, the Dragon Kid 25th anniversary match. Dragon Kid teams with Masato Tanaka, his FNW ally versus Yamato and BB Hulk. I feel a lot more confident about match four than I do about match five, to be quite honest. I am really excited to see what Yamato versus Masato Tanaka looks like. I like Yamato in weird environments. I'm going to sit down before the show and make sure that I watch his match in Noah. It's just, you know, y- Yamato, protected is not the right word, but but Yamato exists within the Drangate universe solely. And to have a guy like Masato Tanaka come in, I think is very exciting. So I don't know what this match will look like, but I'm excited to see how it how it pans out. What yeah, do you, no. What do you think of Yamato and Hulk together? How do you see that shaping up? I mean, it's remaining vestiges of the Big Six. Like the, the like those who enjoy, they're going to be on each other's teams regardless in big stakes of their affiliations at this point. So Yamato Hulk coming back, I like that Tri Vanguard run towards the end of that. Like I, 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 that was like the one part of Tri Vanguard I really liked was the teaming towards the end of it, and I think it could be fun. To, it, it's going to be like. Oh look, babyface Yamato with dastardly heel Hulk, and like that'll be a cool image there. But to me, the story of this match is going to be—it's going to be Yamato and Tanaka. Like, if you want this match to succeed, these two have to gel. I kind of wish it was Yamato and Dragon Kid versus Hulk and Tanaka. That would obviously make sense with with Yamato and Dragon Kid being in the same unit. But I right. also I want to see Tanaka wrestle Dragon Kid. 
Yeah, you, you, you know, you have... Actually, Tanaka and Hulk should be teaming up against Dragon Kid and Yamato. Yeah, no, because that way we also get Tanaka against both the high-end guys. Yeah, yeah. No, it, the, the it, well, better like, team. Like, like Jay had pointed out, it seemed like there, there was ideally supposed to be a draw and Yamato and Hulk teaming with one another, and that hasn't happened because they're in a match with Masato Tanaka. But I, I again, I would rather just have you know, the high-end team against Tanaka, who's a, a former Antios member, and Hulk, who is not on high-end, and then you get Tanaka wrestling Dragon Kid, which I think would be really fun. That's a, that's a miss on this card. No, I'm totally with you on this. Uh, the BOSU 10-match series revival, if y'all didn't listen to the episode of Jay, the BOSU series is basically Konamawa Chikawa, and he's done several of these throughout his career where he faces against stars and he gets his ass kicked. He has famously gone against Yunakiyama, Minoru Suzuki, uh, Takahiro... Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm blanking on his name right now. Yoshihiro Takayama? Yeah, that's it. Yoshihiro Takayama. Because we were talking about Ta- Takahiro Yamamura Yeah, so no, much. I, I, Yoshihiro... I follow. You're good. I, I, I yeah, know who you yeah. yeah. So the new series starts. Uh, Jay has said that it is Satoshi Kojima is his bet because X is the big meme, and the biggest meme is that... No X can be bigger than Satoshi Kojima. Case, who are you feeling like is going to step in the ring with the world's weakest wrestler? If I had done my job and prepared for this show, I would have prepared for the drop of CM Punk doing his homicide impression when he prank called Gabe uh, right, into saying yeah. that Homicide was quitting Ring of Honor. And he's talking about wrestling in, in all Japan. He goes, Kojima, Kojima, Lariat, Lariat. I would have, I, it would have been really funny, but I did not do that. Um, I'm going to say Mudo just because I, I want it to be Mudo, but Kojima seems like the safer guess. I will pop huge for either. I I, I kind of want to go off the board. Uh, Shiro Koshinaka is not big enough a star for this, and I think he's done it before. Uh, who would be a really funny person to, to do this? I mean, the, the biggest thing is if Shingo Takaki shows up. Oh, I'd, I'd, I'd lose my shit if Shingo showed up. That would be the greatest no, 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 thing I've ever seen. Up, but it's completely the L-I-G-A Shingo, right? Full entrance. He has the, he's wearing the bad tights that cover up his belly button. You know, the theme that's not as good as the other one, but it's still kind of catchy. It has to be New Japan Shingo Takaki. Is Akira Maeda still alive? I believe Akira Maeda is still with us. Yes. Maeda would be fun just because like, I would just like to know like, Hey, whose idea was that to seemingly pay Maeda a ton of money to do this to, to pay Maeda to shoot <laughs> injure Konamami Chikawa. Cause that is what would happen. Wikipedia actually has a recent photo of, of Akira Maeda from 2018. Uh, well, that was four years ago. You know, he he maybe had some time to heads up. Of heads up. <laughs> he got a little round, didn't he? Uh, uh, the, the, I was going to say, uh, y- you know, y- y- you don't work out as much when you're not in rings. <laughs> yeah, he, uh, he all of a sudden was packing on the pounds, wasn't he? He became yeah. a heavyweight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, might be uh, him and Yoshida might go one on one, see who be the biggest person in Dragon Gate ring for that week. Uh, case the. Uh, Match seven is the open the tri- triangle gate championship match. I, I I need you to compose yourself. I know that you've been taking so many laps here, and you're beside <laughs> I'm yourself. Of, I'm out of breath from all these victory laps on triangle right. gate booking. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, 
Uh, Perizamalda, Hapon, Ada, Nasao, Rangai, Katara, Suzuki, the Fengans, M3K, Misaki, Mochizuki, Susumo, Mochizuki, and Mochizuki Jr. with special task solving referee Yazushi Khan. With Kana being the referee, I just don't see a way that M3K loses. I'm going to stick with what I've been saying all along. You know, this title has bounced around all year. There's been one successful defense, which was that that Paros Overnatural vibes on the June 26th house show uh, a, a month ago as we're recording this. The title's bounced around all year long. I think with the goal of getting stability at Kobe World and getting stability in the form of M3K, the next night, it's going to be the winners of this match against Yamato, Drankin, and Ben K, and KZ, Big Boss, Shimizu, and Strong Machine, J. Going forward, assuming M3K have the titles, I'm going to look for, okay, can Mochizuki Jr. be protected in this position? And in a nine-man match like that, I don't see any reason why he can't be the ninth most important guy in that match. Stay back, pick his spots, and make sure they look good. To me, this is an M3K win, and then they'll win again the next night. Yeah, I, I think we're only see the exact inverse of the first half of the year case. I think M3K, you're not going to be able to get the belts off them. You're not going to be able to because they're going to find ways to either get a double DQ so that the title stays with the champions. Like They're going to find ways. Izushi Kanda is going to fast count uh, Nosawa Rongai on this match. And yeah, like the, the, the story about the triangle gate this week in between these 12 wrestlers is what position we put Mochizuki Jr. in so he can thrive how can we is it protecting him in that three-way the next night that's one way of looking at it it's also saying this kid has literally debuted this summer and now he's fourth from the top one show he's probably gonna be third from the top on the other show how do we make sure that people walking out of kobe world can hall go mochizuki jr wow he's in his 20s this was he's only been wrestling for two months he had two great performances in Kobe World. This Mochizuki Jr. kid is going to be all right. That is the goal between these two matches over this weekend. If I and were, I, oh, go go ahead. Sorry to cut you off. And it's like, and if I were a betting man, I would put all my money on Mochizuki Jr. coming out of Kobe World Week. You look at the way these matches are laid out. You've got Kanda as the referee on the first night, which I, I, I mean. God help us. I mean, really, really help us if Conda like sides with Peros in that match. I just don't see that happening. I think that would be counterproductive and we would have wasted two months of our lives with M3K if that's the end result. I think you have a built-in uh, opportunity there with Conda as the referee to get M3K those titles. And then you look at the match the next night. One, I would lay that match out to make sure that Mochizuki Jr. does not have a singles encounter with Strong Machine J in that match. Anybody else, I think he can be carried and walked through in case anything goes wrong. I would keep Mochizuki Jr. and Strong Machine J apart. And then you look at that high-end team, and there's a chance that, you know, Ben K and Yamato have some friendly fire, and that leads to Mochizuki Jr. picking up another pinfall. It's built in right there. I don't see why they wouldn't use that. And another reason why you wouldn't want Strong Machine J and Mochi Jr. like facing off there first ever like real face off like we saw how it was with the hashis and him you want to keep like mochizuki jr that he's a second generation wrestler versus second generation wrestler you could have them like face off briefly but that is something that you want to come back to and you don't want to play that card too soon 
oh no, I mean, you pencil that in for 2028 and you, you see what position they're in on that show because they could very easily be headlining five or six years from now. Absolutely. And case we spent time with Jay trying to figure out this next match. This is Ultimo Dragon's 35th anniversary match. And we knew that Hiel Del Santo would be attached in this. We're like, okay, what's going to happen here? Who do we have that we can trust with this kind of scenario? And case we were trying to talk about it with Jay and we, we didn't have we didn't come to a satisfactory solution, but little did we know the satisfactory solution. We said it kind of jokingly, but it is true. Ultimo Dragon 35th anniversary match. Ultimo Dragon will face off against El Hio Del Santo. You know this is cool as shit. Like yeah, it rules. The, it, it, it's just it's it's. I'm so glad they're doing this. Yeah, the, the only thing that that you should write down for like the match rating is this ruled. And that or beast, just write down its beast, and we'll <laughs> move on for life. Down its beast. <laughs> it, I, I mean, you have Ultimo Dragon, who all of his health stuff, and then you have Hale Del Santo. Like the combined age in that ring might be getting close to 120. Uh, as we've been recording, I've had a best of El Hio Del Santo compilation on on my TV. It's on YouTube on the Jack Shares Graps YouTube channel, and. As I'm speaking right now, I'm watching Santo and Fuerza Guerrera wrestle in a tag match from 1983. And it is just cool to think that Santo, although he's certainly not that man anymore, is a guy that can still go. And according to Cage Match, and they could be missing some matches here, but according to Cage Match, they've never wrestled in a singles match before. This is cool. I'm excited for this. Yeah, no, this is a match that's just gonna be like, oh, wow. Ultimo and Hio Del Santo. Like that, that it, it, it's a moment match. It's a vibes match. Like it's just going to be awesome to see this. Like honestly, I'm glad they like have that there before the, the, the two title matches up top. Like this is like having this like right here. You're not putting Ultimo in the main event at Kobe World. You're not doing that, but you have this here. And it's going to be something that like we'll look back at this and be like, oh yeah, Ultimo's 35th anniversary show. He faced off against Hio Del Santo. I'm so curious to know the guys in the back that are like going to be into watching this match because I just get the feeling that UT is pretty psyched on this. But I would I would love to know if this is a curtain sellout. Who cares? Who doesn't? That would just be very fun intel for me. Yeah, that'd be it. It would be interesting to be like, no, I was a Blue Demon guy. No. <laughs> yeah. That would suck because I don't want don't. I don't want to watch Blue Demon. <laughs> I, I, senior or junior? No, God no. No, no. Yeah, no. Who's the current sellout? Because, yeah, UT, I could see him being like, yeah, no, I want to catch and, and watch this here. U- UT's but, coming up to Santo like, uh, do you need a second? Like, I just, I don't, you know, it's a long <laughs> ramp. I don't want you walking down to the ring alone. Yeah, yeah, it's a long, thin ramp. You want to have someone spot. Because you're going to have a cape and a bunch of other cool shit. Let me just, let me, let me just be out there just to hang out. If you need me, let me know. I, I'll have the water bottle ready for you. <laughs> yeah. I'm very good at this. <laughs> <laughs> I, I i mean uh, he would have the argument with kz kz and why you're out there and it's like you let this next this next group happen in the next match he opened the twin gate championship match as the kung fu masters he he let them do the kung fu masters you have to let ut second santo the uh hail the santo right well wait oh who's gonna say are you asking who's gonna second the kung fu masters no no I had a really cute segue in my mind case. I was going to like, well, 
you let you're gonna let me do this because you let the guys in the next match do what they're doing i followed out sorry mike yeah. thought we were going to record for 45 minutes tonight and i knew he was out of his <laughs> mind for thinking that um look the important thing here is we talked for this twin gate match jay was concerned and he put the concern in my head that this was going to be the opening match this was going to be on youtube and it was going to be in and out it's the it's the co it's the semi-main event it's that for a reason we know the history of Twin Gate matches at Kobe World. I've talked about it a lot recently. I don't see any reason why this match isn't going to join the Shingo and T-Hawk, or the, the Shingo and Tozawa versus T-Hawk and Ata, the Doi and Ricochet versus Tozawa and Hulk, 2019 match we talked about earlier, CK1 versus Speed Muscle. It is unfair to this match that that is my expectation, but that is ultimately my expectation. Yeah, no, this is the match that has the highest floor and the high ceiling easily on the show and the fact that they're putting the semi-main event lets me know that they know what this match is you it, know it's one of those matches and this is a messed up thing to say and you know i, I it, it, this used to happen to me in g1s you know a lot of big new japan main events i would feel this way a lot of big dragon gate matches i feel this way but if this match is four and a quarter it's a letdown that's just it's not fair to them it's not fair to me as a as a viewer but that is what I'm expecting something better than that. The, the floor for this is match of the year. I'm sorry, the yeah. ceiling for this is match of the year. The floor for this is like four and a half stars. No, no, I'm totally with you on that. And look at Jack, uh, look at Jackie, you know? I mean, not coming up on his 30th anniversary, semi-main event in Kobe World. That's something that SBK can't take. Yeah, this uh, this kid's all right, it turns out. Yeah, uh, I, you know, I, I know we're hesitant about Zebrats, like looking like Zebrats is going to go through some stuff. I, as much as a Kamei fan as I am, and as much as I think Jason Lee is one of the 10 best wrestlers in the world right now, and even knowing that Shun's about to go on vacation, I don't think you take the belts off of Shun Monte at this point. I really wish we knew what they were doing with the Twin Gate the next night, because the 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 thing that is preventing me from saying okay, it's going to be Jason and Jackie as the champions. And I, I do think the belts are going to leave Shun and Diamante sooner rather than later. But you do find yourself in this weird position. Maybe they turn it into a storyline. You know, Drangate's far more creative than I am. But if Jason and Jackie win the titles, then they're, they win them as the Kung Fu guys, but then are they going to have to defend them as natural vibes? And they're, they're, you know maybe they have a Sambo Hall defense. It just seems like a headache that's unnecessary for your champions. So for now, I will also side with you and say Shun and Diamante are retaining. I mean, in Kobe Sambo, they are Kung Fu Masters. That means we have Natural Vibes versus Kung Fu Masters. Oh my god, that'd be fantastic. Can you imagine K uh, KZ and Strong Machine J versus Jackie and Jason for the Twin Gate belts? I would adore that. Hey, I, I, I'm, I'm just a good, good idea machine, which brings <laughs> us to our main event, which is not a good idea. There you yeah. go. That's a transition I didn't cut you off for, and I followed. <laughs> so we've talked about this for the last three weeks. Open the Dream Gate Championship match. Kai defends against Yuki Oshioka. The winner of this will defend against Kodama Nora, who won the next challenger three-way match on Sunday at uh, Kobe Sambo Hall. So Jay and we we talked about this. And on Sunday, we both came, to, we all three of us came to the conclusion that there's only one acceptable outcome, and that is a Yuki, Yuki Oshioka clean sweep between Kai and Kodama Nora. Has anything changed over the last the 36 hours, Case? It is not. Let me ask you, Doomsday Prepper, you live on a compound. 
What's your worst case scenario here? Oh, the worst case scenario is Yuki wins and then drops it immediately to Kota. Yeah, we're in the same position we were last year where I said that would have been the worst thing is for KZ to win the first night and then lose to Yamato the second night. I think it's it's the same story this time around. It's just something that that win then lose. It's going to have to take like a, a very specific wrestler that for like a very specific wrestler, like you know actually who you could have done that with if you put them in this scenario and their position in this company, Akira Tozawa could have won and then lost, and it would have been perfectly fine. And uh, he might have ar- been it. Arguably would have been the right story to tell with Tozawa. Right, yeah. No, like, Tozawa, like, this is a, the only way that you can have someone win on the first night and lose is if you have the Akira Tozawa story. Outside of that, it has to be too straight one way or the other. I think much like last year, Kai winning two in a row is unlikely, but very interesting if it happens. But I think the story here... It's going to be Yoshioka winning on a flash pin against Kai and then winning defiantly against Minoru on night two. Yeah, it, it's something where it's just like, since this became like the prospect of having D-Courage stand in the ring, both of them with their tie, singles titles belt, like they, they've been champions together. Now they're champions of their divisions. That's such a powerful image in a company that does not end big shows like Kobe World with the heel on top. They only did it once, and within the, within three weeks, they turned that heel in Shingo Takagi in 2008. And that's something that has to be kept in mind when we talk about Kai. has been an incredible Dreamgate champion, far better than I ever thought he would. In December, I panicked. In February, I, I got really sweaty, and I got really nervous after the Yoshida defense. But Shimizu and Susumu... And the first 20 minutes of a 21-minute Shuji Kondo defense, I really liked what I saw from Kai. And I'm now in a position to where I have no doubt that come main event Ultimo's 35th anniversary show, Kai is ready, willing, and able to deliver a Dreamgate-quality match in the main event of a big show in Kobe, which a year ago I would not have said, six months ago I would not have said. But Kai has shown me something with this run. I hope he goes out. Uh, with a bang and this is a title reign that i i think we'll celebrate years from now yeah it's going to be a a a title reign that's going to get this the kai sticker shock and then if someone sits down and watches all the matches they might be like is kai like the most improved wrestler this year that's (laughs) oh fuck that's a good take that is a good take remind me of that come december Oh, that sounds like an article right there, if you ask me. <laughs> I, look, we're, we're over the halfway point or just reaching the halfway point of the year. Kai versus Susumu is my match of the year of all of wrestling. I have not seen a better match than Kai versus Susumu this year. So, yeah, I would not have predicted that when Kai won this title. God knows. And it was almost seven months to the day, too, which is wild. That was, that, was a, that was a shocking uh, late night <laughs> slash morning in my, my parents' house celebrating Christmas. Like, hey, is everything okay? I was like, yeah, yeah, Kai won the Dreamgate belt. I, I'm stressed out. I gotta, <laughs> gotta take a walk around the neighborhood. <laughs> Gosh. Yeah, I was down in... I, I was down visiting the other Spears compound and I was like, oh, it's so not going to happen. I'm not going to. I know we made that boast. I'm not even going to bring my equipment. No, that's you know, what we talked about was like, well, should we bring our mics home for Christmas? You know, when we're not having copious amounts of sex, you know, should we bring our podcast mics home for Christmas? It was like, ah, 
no, no, we'll be okay. We'll just, I'll get back to Chicago and we'll record our podcast and talk about where Yamada goes from here. And boy, did they (laughs) call my bluff. Yeah, they called both of us there. But uh, do you have any other last thoughts about Kobe World Weekend before we get out of here? I I hope Yuki Yoshioka and his big dick have a good weekend. Yeah, let's do it. I'm not going to say that. I almost (laughs) said it. I almost said it. But we almost got Mike Spears after dark. (laughs) We almost got Mike. It was almost hour three, and that's when it gets wild. (laughs) But that's going to do it. We will be back next Tuesday with y'all know with the by now. We'll be back. We'll be talking about the Ultimo Dragon 35th anniversary show, and we'll be talking about Kobe World 2022. But keep your eyes peeled on VoicesOfWrestling.com. We have all kinds of stuff that will be going up until then. But for Case, I'm Mike. You can follow us on Twitter at OpenVoiceGate. Case is at underscore in your case. I'm at Fujiheya. Thanks for listening to OpenVoiceGate. We'll be back with you next week reviewing Kobe World 2022. Take care.